This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalifa. Got to give a shout out. So usually I, I typically would say, you know, I'm here with a friend, X, Y, Z. In this case, it's it, I have to preface that this is not only a friend, but one of the first friends, if not the first friend I ever made in Chicago, which is uh, Danny Reed. Um, so first of all, Danny, how you been, bro? Especially in these times. I got to start. I, yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's uh, the, uh, we're during, for whoever's watching this right now in the future, now we're in the middle of the Corona stuff. It's, what is it, March 27th. So I'm doing well. You know, you and I both work remote 100%. So not too affected. We both work in digital. So mm-hmm. not too affected by anything. But I think we both have family and friends that are and weird time all around. But overall, I am doing fantastic and, and happy to be on the show after watching so much. Glad to hear, man. Uh, so uh, again, some some context for people listening. We uh, originally met when uh, Danny was working at a tech company here in Chicago called G2 uh, as an account executive. Kind of, you know, we built a relationship and we'll, we'll sort of talk a bit about that. But just as an intro, he was at G2 when we first met, recently transitioned to a company called Metadata uh, as a sales director. So Danny kind of brings that sales, but also the, the marketing piece, which sometimes overlaps really. Um, into the both the AE role, which he started in, and now as a sales director, uh, and metadata, which Danny will talk more about. But you know, it's, it's almost a platform that helps marketers um, kind of automate those those tedious uh, tasks, right? Setting up campaigns, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we can delve more into that. But just kind of wanted to give you that context, as well as you know, him winning recently. I think it was just this year uh, the AE of the Year award, which is pretty pretty big. And we can delve into what the deal was and, and how that even came about. So intro there, when we first met, obviously, again, it was a built-in event, right? Kind of a networking event with some of the tech yep. companies looking for opportunities. Uh, how did that go, dude? How, how was that, first of all? Let's talk about the first encounter. Sure. Uh, it was okay. It was good. It was a built-in event. There was a lot of like uh, um, people that were, we were hiring for a lot of different roles. I was really just there to help out our HR team. They needed somebody that could talk about G2. I'd been there for three and a half years. So Mm -hmm. I was happy to do them a favor. Um, But what was more, I think, profound about it, and I think the reason that we're friends was you came up to our booth and that's how we had that conversation because you were looking to relocate at the time. And that timeline is, you know, (laughs) it's been interesting for you personally. (laughs) But when you came up and talked to me, like you were, um, I'm trying to think of like the criteria because it's like I talk to obviously a lot of people. I'm, I'm in sales. Yeah. Um, and it's very rare that I talk to somebody that's very passionate about what they do, very level headed, meaning they don't have like a massive ego to themselves. And you can usually tell that about somebody in the first like minute or two minutes of talking to them, I've found. Um, and you kind of had the perfect mix of both being curious, being kind and being level headed and, and wanting to change your career. And so when we had the conversation, um, G2, what may or may not have been a fit for you? I can't really remember, but we just stayed in touch after that. We've remained friends. And um, I think that was a big reason why. And uh, I've gone to a lot of networking events, a lot of events in general. And um, uh, it's just funny that, you know, you you were there from out of town in Toronto, and that's how kind of this whole thing started. But um, that's kind of the context for all of it. And by the way, I brought my coffee. This is this is coffee with with George, right? So did you bring yours? All we right, we're prepared. Okay, so oh, I'm sure. a, let me take a quick picture. Hold it back up again. Let's do it. <laughs> it wouldn't be ceremonious without this. What is that? Is that an energy drink, Danny? 
No, this is uh, cold brew. This is so these Instagram ads, man, they're getting me. So Joe Rogan has this on his podcast, and I think awesome. he knows the people that run this company. And yeah. um, I tried it because they had put a feed on my Instagram or whatever of it on the show, and I just decided to order some, and it's really good. So for anybody that's stuck without your daily Starbucks fix, uh, nitro cold brew coffee, order some. It's very good. Hopefully I gotta try it out. They'll sponsor me after this. They should, man. You should get commissioned. That's a, this is a sales podcast right now. <laughs> but uh, so speaking about coffee, actually, a little side topic. Yeah. Uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Chris, is the founder of Coffee Booster. Uh, I think his last name is Tester, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I'm going to shout him out here. It's pretty cool because he, he has like this mix. It's a non-flavored mix that you just pour into your coffee in the morning. And it's basically all the essential vitamins. So instead of taking the pill, uh, you're able to digest it via fluid. And it just mixes very well with coffee. It's called Coffee Booster. So. Interesting. Cool. Yeah, I know Max Altschuler runs a company similar where he's not a big believer in coffee and he has kind of a pouch that you start your morning with and it gets you all the essential stuff. But yeah, very cool. Speaking about mornings, uh, in sales, obviously that's super important, right? I feel like we're this weird group of, you know, slightly extroverted individuals who are, you know, hustlers and, you know, there's ambition in there, there's optimism you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of being organized as a professional. There's a lot of technique that gets involved that typically doesn't get spoken of. Curious from your perspective as a sales professional, what has been your morning routine that, that really has optimized your performance? It's a good question. Um, I'll be completely honest with everybody and say recently I've enjoyed sleeping in more than I ever have before. So for context, I, um, have had a very crazy last say five months of my life and a couple of circumstances have happened. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I have not had a lot of downtime since like October of 2019. So some personal, some business. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about them later, but, Mm um, I, things finally cooled down a little bit. And now with the the work from home environment setting in, I've really enjoyed sleeping until like eight or nine and getting a slow start to my day and kind of, kind of building back up a little bit without the vacation time. But before that, when I was, um, when I did have a routine, it was usually wake up at six, um, try to get to the gym at six 30 to about a 45 minute workout, get the juices flowing shower. And then after that, it was kind of time to get to work. And then I had my day segmented out from there. And I think a routine for people that need to keep their life like on track and in order and feel confident about the day and get a good start to the day routine is very important. You, mm-hmm. That's why you see so many professional athletes having a very, very strict regimented routine before every game day. It's kind of just what you need to do in order to perform at your peak efficiency. Do you ever block out time in your calendar to do certain things that it's not like a meeting, you know, you just block out time to, let's say, call prospects or time to to research for a meeting that's coming up. Do you do that? research for a meeting. Yes. I always keep 30 minutes, unless it's a crazy day, 30 minutes before 30 minutes after the 30 minutes before is prep. And that's one thing I want to talk to the audience about today. Something I've done recently that has been really effective is the way that I prep and share my prep on calls. Um, but second to that is yes, I block out the time. I'm not somebody that really thrives in like hour blocks or hour and a half blocks of time. Um, whereas I think the majority of other people do I have for context, I have really bad ADD. And so 
for whatever reason, I'm able to bounce from task to task to task and do it throughout the day pretty well. Um, and when I've tried to block out my day, it has never worked out very well, but it's always the first piece of advice I give to other people that want to structure their day better. And it seems to help them, but for whatever reason, I'm the anomaly and it just does not work for me. I can't stay focused on one task for like an hour, hour and a half for whatever reason. So my day is pretty chaotic, but it, it works for, for kind of who I am and how I think. Gotcha. So, so if I'm understanding, it's kind of like you have a set task on a macro, you know what you want to accomplish during a day, but instead of breaking it down, like, you know, part A, part B, and part B doesn't get accomplished before part A, you're not that type. You're the type that you know what you need to do and you'll do yep. them in different chunks because it kind of keeps you, your energy flowing. Is that, yeah, is that? Today, okay. Exactly. Today's pipeline day. Today is review calls day. Today is work on renewals day. Today is there's a theme to the day, usually one or two themes. Yeah. And then I know I need to get to those themes throughout the day and I'll kind of get, I'll, I'll work my way to get there, but I'll, I won't do it in a very structured way. Gotcha. Yeah. I think the morning is important, but even like, man, just technique, like, I don't know about you, but were you always intending into getting into the sales game? Like how, when, when was it for you in terms of self-awareness that you knew that this was the path for you? <clears throat> I'm, I'm kind of, uh, so I, I'll walk through the full story cause it's kind of fun. Let's do um, it. so I was actually a very, um, competitive gamer growing up and I was also in sports. So that's what these headphones are for, dude. It's <laughs> like a fucking gaming headphone. That's, I knew yeah. That. Yep. So I still game today and I'm still yeah. involved in like the esports world, which we've talked about briefly before. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I used to play competitively a lot. I won some money. I played with a lot of the former people that are now professionals today. Um, I worked at this company called 360 Icons, which are now all still my dearest friends. But um, this was, I was a um, sophomore in high school. We were working on this, co- on this company and it was a, a, uh, a tournament website for Xbox or PS4 Call of Duty players. So we would host free tournaments where you could come and sign up with four of your friends and bring your team. And you, we would set up the whole bracket. We would have referees and admins and you could essentially compete for free money that was being given out by our founder CEO. And so that was very successful for like four to five years. This is 2009-ish timeframe. And we grew the site to 150,000 users. So massive growth, really big opportunity for like a bunch of kids that really didn't know what they were doing yet. Eventually, the founder wasn't really savvy enough to keep the business alive and it failed. After it failed, um, I always knew I wanted to work in esports and I kept trying to do that, but it's very tough. Um, It's a kind of a separate subject, but I pursued a different career path and I, I went to college. So I went to Eastern Illinois and I got advice from somebody that when I was, I was actually in community college for a year. I talked to one of my classmates and just kind of told them what I wanted to do. And they connected me to somebody that had worked at the Phoenix Suns. He was an account executive. And I had a 20 minute call with him. And he pretty much said, Hey, dude, like your, your bachelor's degree, when you graduate, it's not going to mean shit. Like you need to go, I can swear on this, right? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Uh, you need to go do as many internships as possible and get as much free experience as you can while you're in school. Otherwise you're going to hit the job market and you're going to be fucked. Like you're going to be competing against all these people for these entry-level roles and you're not going to have any experience that the company's actually going to care about. So right. I took that and I used it and I did four internships throughout college. I interned for the athletic department. I interned for... Were they all in sales? Like sales? <clears throat> no, no. A lot of them were like, I was trying to get into sports back then. So was, I, did, I, I majored in sport management. So a lot of it was like running uh, the athletic department at the university. So I'd go set up for athletic events and games. Um, I event, my, the internship I 
did after I graduated was more sales focused. I worked at historic Dodger town doing cold calls to coaches to get them to bring their team down mm. to the, the facility for their summer tournaments. So we yeah. were selling like, you know, those teams uh, packages for the whole tournament process. And then during that, while I was out there, I was at a bar randomly on like a Friday night and this guy walks by and like, uh, I'm in Florida and it's the summer. He has got a cowboy hat on. He's in crutches. So I just like, I say something to him just out out of jest or whatever. And he stops. And then we have a chat and I tell him like, I'm in sport management, all this. He's like, Oh, I'll, I'll connect you to my buddy who works for the Miami dolphins as an AE. It's like, great. So I talked to him and, um, he really likes me. And then he introduces me to their, what would be head of business development team. So she ran what would be like an SDR, ADR team for the Dolphins. And I had to fly out for this um, hiring event where they were bringing down 50 people from around the United States. And then when you get there, it's like a 12-hour hiring event. And so out of those 50 people, three of them are going to get jobs at the end of the day. So you're competing with everybody you're sitting next to. Um, First thing that they have you do is sit down at the end of a table in one of the suites at Sun Life Stadium. They have one executive who asks one question and you're sitting around uh, 10 other people that they've broken you out into a group with. And you all have to answer that same question in a different way all around the table. And eventually they just kind of like weed you out throughout the day. They bring you back in. They say, sorry, we're going to consider you for some of our seasonal positions if your name gets called. So I'm like, I'm like sitting there like, don't call my name, please don't call my name. And uh, they didn't. I get to the end of the day and um, they, um, it, by the way, back to your original question, which is how did I know when to get into sales? I knew I wanted to own my own business and I knew I had to get sales as a skill to do that. I knew it was the most important skill of how do I sell myself to get investment? How do I sell myself to get employees to come work for me? How do I sell a product to get revenue? It's the most fundamental business skill you can learn. So I use that as most of my pitch for how I was pitching myself to the Dolphins to get that job. And I get to the end of the day and uh, they liked me, they offered me the job and then it was... um, $10 $10 an hour and an 8% commission on $50 ticket sales. So I asked like, what would I make my first year? They're like 20, but if you're really good, you make 25. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Sales. I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, yes, tried to make it work. It didn't work. If it had been back home in Chicago for like the Cubs or the Bulls and I could have worked at home, probably would have done it. Couldn't relocate myself to Miami. So I came home and then I was, um, I was in a spot where I had a lot of student debt to pay off and I needed to get a job pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. The only jobs available were mostly sales jobs, even though I wanted a job in sports, none of the sports teams were hiring. So I ended up looking and I had really liked riot games at the time, Twitch and a lot of the gaming companies that are out there. I wanted to work for them, but I didn't have the experience to do it for any of the roles that they had. But I noticed that they they were all building kind of their business model off of what B2B tech companies do, the Googles of the world and everybody else. You could see they had the perks of the free lunch and everything else. So eventually I found Steelbrick and Steelbrick was a, um, would have probably been a unicorn company, but they were bought by Salesforce eventually. Um, and I interview for this role for a BDR. I get to the very final stages of that interview and they get bought by Salesforce the week I'm supposed to do my final interview. They couldn't tell me that because nobody knew yet, but they halted all hiring and event. My recruiter liked me enough that the recruiter uh, introduced me to somebody at G2, which was their sister company. um, And I ended up getting a job at G2 as their first SDR. And this is now uh, four and a half years ago. So that's kind of my career 
kind of, uh, you know, progression. start to my career progression summed up. Damn, a, a lot in there, bro. Uh, <laughs> a lot, yeah. I, I had to get some air. Hold up. So I, I guess there, there are a couple of themes that I, I do enjoy. The one thing you touched on in, in that kind of later part of, of what you were saying is the experience component, right? It, it, I think you were saying that I didn't have a lot of experience, so I couldn't really pursue the the, the esports route with that company that, that you were interviewing with. I think a lot of people listening, especially ones coming out of uni, you know, and, and even for me, like when, you know, I studied finance, that, that was really my background. I never understood, I, even though I had the sales DNA naturally with marketing, that only could take you so far. But also, I didn't really know what in sales or marketing I could do within finance. I had no idea of this whole, you know, market that, that was out there because I just never was exposed to it. So, yeah. so how, how, or maybe what, what kind of advice would you give, given your experience for someone who doesn't have any uh, work experience in the sales marketing field to get that first step into the door? Because that's fundamental, man especially with sales, you, you hit it off, right? Like you can't yeah. just learn this uh, via textbook. So how do you start? Um, don't think too much. Take action on the opportunities that you get. So there's really two routes you can go here. First piece of advice separate from that I would give to everybody real quick is if you do want a career in sales and you're looking for that, go to bravado.co. It's a, it's a website where you can be a mentee and you can get paired with a mentor. I'm currently a mentor for their site and they will educate you as a younger salesperson on what the market looks like and what to do. That's for sales specific. Yeah. Check it out. I know their founder, Sahil, um, pretty well. He's a friend. So they've, they've gotten pretty popular recently. So that's bravado.com. Co. Yeah. So check them out. And then, um, honestly, it depends so much on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to work in marketing or um, do anything relating to like online content, go be a content creator for a little bit. You don't need to be the next like influencer on YouTube or Twitch. You don't need to do any of this. What you need to do is put in the effort and try. And when you can build like what you're doing right now with your podcast, like Anybody can do this. You can go buy the equipment to start a podcast like this or start something within the niche industry that you're trying to break into. And if you can start to build out a library of episodes of content and you bring that into an interview with you for something that you want to do, you're instantly ahead of everybody else that did not do that. Mm -hmm. So that's number one, the first thing that you can do to take action. Number two, you can do is go find internships, go find ways to work for free. Um, You know, Gary Vaynerchuk will say this better than I ever can, but go follow (laughs) Gary. Gary will tell you every which way you can go (laughs) find people and message them and get in their Instagram DMs and go work for them for free and do things for free. There's a lot of different ways. You just need the energy, the passion, and the commitment to really actually do what you want to do. And you can figure out a way to make it happen. I love that. I love that, man. Two points. I just want to kind of build on what you were saying. So you touched on this podcast, right? The fact that everyone can do it, that is is very, very true. Like if you look at the cost of my podcast personally, this whole microphone set was like 90 bucks from Amazon, Canadian, I think. And I use my my laptop. Now, is it the best production? No. But I mean, given what what I'm doing, I think it's, it's the most feasible at the moment. To touch on that too, if you look at even like when I was at TMX, when I started my career, which was in finance, I had to figure out how to get into sales and marketing without having any experience. The best way to get experience is by doing stuff as an entrepreneur yourself, which one of those things was a podcast. Another was co-founding an app, which I had no idea how to do. But doing these two things eventually put me on a radar of other people that were like, dude, listen, you have a knack for this. How about you you, you consider this opportunity, which is in sales and marketing? 
you know, which is crazy, right? No yeah. resume, no kind of online job application. It was, it was actually just through me being, you know, present, building the brand, building credibility uh, and leveraging this kind of thing. So, so you just touched on that. I think that's super important. Yeah. And I'll let everybody in on a little secret. Nobody knows what they're doing when they first start something, literally okay. not one of them. Like, yeah, repeat entrepreneurs, but the repeat people had to do it once the first time by themselves. There's a lot of, there's a lot, like there's so much free information that now you can learn how to do some of this stuff yourself, but everybody starts at the same place where you're starting, which is, I don't know how to do this. It's just the decision between you wanting to do it and learn and risk failure and risk rejection versus you staying on the sidelines and not doing it because of fear. That's what separates an entrepreneur versus somebody that at the end of the day just lurks and doesn't do anything. When you first walked into, into G2, right? It was your first kind of official let's call it sales position, right? On the junior side. Is that true? Yep. Like first official with a tech company. Yeah. First career job. My internship exactly. was like somewhat, but yes, first legit like career legit sales gig. gig. You walk in through the door, you sit on, on your cubicle desk, whatever the case is, they give you a computer, you open it up, you start doing your tasks. When you first picked up the phone, you know, to dial a prospect, let's say, or whatever that first outreach was, how do you build up the confidence from that point to be in the position where you are now as AE of the year? Now that's a loaded question. Um, you got two minutes, bro. I have a, I have a two G, minutes. I have okay. a G talk watch. Hold on. Learn what, <laughs> uh, like everything, not everything I've done. The majority of things I've done is steal it from other people that have done it well and right. learn how to make it yourself. So you're not going to reinvent the wheel in B2B corporate sales. Everything has been tried. Everything's been done. There's new ways you can try and do different things. There's a lot of content out there sharing what to do. At the end of the day, let's start from that very beginning. So right when I first got hired, the first thing I did was learn from my buddy, Walter Mansky, who was the first BDR there. He gave me his playbook. I asked him questions about why he did certain things. And I got myself up to speed on um, actually in a good guide for, okay, if you're starting out at a tech company, go read all of the blog posts at that company, learn why that company is valuable to prospects, learn what your prospects are doing in their day-to-day roles. What are their challenges? What are the things that they can accomplish by using your tool or your service, whatever it might be, figure out what the value is in what you do and what you provide to the market. Once you can get comfortable with the fact that you have something of value that you can deliver to other people, that's where your confidence can stem from of like, why am I trying to reach this person? Well, it's like, I can help them with something that should be your internal thought and what gives you the confidence to do that. And then you build on tactics and ways to do that, whether that's unique messaging in an email, um, ways to uh, build your network on LinkedIn and eventually get an intro into that person, which is a long game, phone call, you know, scripts, learn what other people have done successfully in their roles. I guarantee you're probably not the first salesperson hired at a company with no experience. There's going to be other people there with experience. Go ask them for help. What have they done in the past for cold calls? Figure out their structure, figure out everything that they've done before. And as you start to learn more about these things, now you become the one with the experience. And now you can start to figure out how to fine tune your process and make it yours. And now start to experiment with other things that you may not have tried before. Um, So uh, loaded question, but that would be my answer is take from what else is out there, make it yours eventually and, and just repetition practice makes perfect. I like that, man. I like the response because even if you look at Tony Robbins, who, you know, kind of got me motivated early in my life. Uh, but, but he talks a lot about modeling, you know, like why reinvent the wheel when you know, like if there's some, someone you want to sort of be like in a specific role, they're definitely doing something that you're not. And so understand those attributes. Part of that, though, I think takes a lot of humility. And you talked a bit about ego in the beginning. But how do you, how do you sort of balance the ego side when you're 
when you're trying to establish a name for yourself? I, it's a good question. Um, I think, I don't know if I have the best answer for it. I think it's, um, what have you done? Like if you reflect, it's so personal, right? It's, well, it's so personal. It's just like how you view the world. And it's such like, there's so many small things. It's, it's your, it's your daily mindset. It's like, why are you doing what you do? You know, I would always kind of, kind of have you bring somebody to think about that. Like, what's your end goal? What do you want to do with your life? What's your, the, thing that you want to accomplish and what are the steps you need to take to get there and also part of that should be helping out other people and um, figuring out how you can add value to them and vice versa and it's kind of this this um this uh whoops i gotta get a notification on zoom it's this um this social transaction, if you will, of like, you know, there's a lot of talk about withdrawing and depositing on LinkedIn, offering value and taking value. The same should yeah. be true for like your, your, um, the way that you interact with your network, your prospects, your customers, your friends, and making sure that you're always kind of balancing out what you're asking for and what you're giving away. And mm-hmm. I feel like as long as you are not the person that's just like, I'm all important. It's all about me, me, me. I want to get to this. So give me this. Like, you know, those people don't get very far typically because they are so like, who's going to want to help somebody like that? You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I, I don't think I answered the question very well, but I think that that's kind of how I think about it. It's, it's usually just about what's in your heart. Like, do you want to help other people or not? And that's very apparent when you talk to somebody that's pretty self-aware and if they can sense that you're somebody that's, you know, a good person to know, that's a good way for you to accelerate your network, your career and everything else. No, it's definitely spot on, dude. And I will add to that in in the sense that for me, at least it was always about who I surrounded myself with. Right. So I'll give you an example Uh, because the the majority of people I surround myself are, are pretty high performers themselves. I always feel like, you know, I'm kind of below average, (laughs) you know what I mean? Even though like I'm working so hard. And then people from, from outside of that immediate environment are like, dude, you're accomplishing so much, like you're doing so well. And I'm like, I'm just getting like, you have no idea, you know, I mean, granted, yes, it it could look like that. But in terms of what I'm looking at is a very different window. You know, you're seeing it from one window. I'm seeing it from a very different one. And I think that helped me actually push the pace a little bit more. The other side, when, when you're saying value, man, especially for sales, like I know you touched on long game a little bit on LinkedIn. It's super important because guess what? And especially I think in this moment right now with Corona and this whole situation, you're going to see a lot of people not necessarily succeed on the sales side because that short term transactional side of them comes out so quickly. Okay. So where's the opportunity? You know, and you see this from marketers and stuff like that. And if you don't play the long game, like once this thing clears up, your reputation is still there, you know? So, so the climate changes, but your credibility now probably took a hit because you're not playing the long game. Right. You know, so you're not positioning value. And I, I know we, we constantly talk about kind of value and that word gets thrown out a lot. Uh, but even in your world, like let's say I'm a prospect, okay, uh, for, for metadata. And you want to show me value instead of being transactional up front. What would that look like from a micro lens? Well, um, I'm, I'm not sure it's that different than my initial outreach to somebody. It can and can't be. Um, so I'd say like, here's how I approach prospecting to people I don't know. Um, the first thing that I go look for is anything that they've posted about themselves online. So LinkedIn, number one, 
what do you have on your LinkedIn? Do you have, I was just walking through our, uh, Ashley, one of our BDRs through this. If I go to your LinkedIn profile right now and I want to book a meeting with George, if I go look out and I could even pull this up, but um, I'm just going to go look at your past roles. I'm going to say what you did in those roles. What are your accomplishments? What's your education? What's your headline? What's your recent activity on LinkedIn? Who are you commenting on? Who are you liking? I now have all of this information in about 60 seconds about you. Mm -hmm. So now when I go and assuming I'm only looking at you because you're a title that would likely benefit from using my, my service or my software, in my case of metadata, I sell to demand gen marketers. I sell to anybody that manages a paid media budget on social, meaning LinkedIn or Facebook. So I'm looking after growth marketers, VP of demand gen. I go look at a VP of demand gen. I go look at what they've done in their past roles. A good example that I think uh, is relevant to this is uh, Daryl Prale. He is the CMO at VanillaSoft. Um, I booked a meeting with him last month and I sent him an email and the email included, I went to his LinkedIn. He listed out all of his sort of accomplishments and things that he has done at VanillaSoft as the CMO. One of them was a 2X or 3X increase on Facebook engagement. So instantly, I know that my product helps marketers like 10X, 20X, 50X, whatever, helps them do Facebook really, really well. And I'm not going to get into technical stuff here, but it does that. So I reached out to him and I said, hey, um, first, I saw you were on John Barrow's podcast last month. So was I, like blah, blah, personalized notes. Second, I see that you put 2X engagement on Facebook as one of your criteria. Here's how I can help drastically improve that for you. Value prop message. Third, call to action. Do you have some time to chat about this later this week? And he got back to me, said it's one of the better emails he's ever received. And I usually just use that playbook for everything. Like um, if people don't have information online, that's a bit trickier, but majority of people in marketing nowadays do. So use that to your advantage and use that to position yourself as somebody that can bring value to them. And that way you're not pissing them off as somebody that's calling them on a 17 touch cadence that I think should not be done anymore in today's world, but that's just me. Um, and actually position yourself as somebody of value, even if it's not something that's going to be a good fit for them. You tried, you did much better than most other people do when they try to reach out to them, you were in their respect. And that's how I think you build a reputation and build your long game. Yeah, agreed. You know, and, and, and as part of doing that research, what you also will find is is points of interest, right? Or points of similarities. Hey, yes. Danny, I saw that, you know, you're also from from Ottawa. What a coincidence, man. I just moved here from Chicago. Immediately, like, I don't care what you're selling, what I'm selling. Yeah. We're going to probably be friends, right? We're both Canadians. Like, just as an example, <laughs> or you're a Middle Eastern because you have Please a Please don't open up your calls about the weather. Choose something else. There's something <laughs> else. You can find it if you look at them, their education, yeah. where they're from, anything like even where they're from, it doesn't have to be about the weather. Like, how'd you end up there? What'd you, the like, why did you end up in the current role that you are? Exactly. Anything else to get away from that so you can actually learn something. Yeah, <clears> excuse me, learn something about them. You know, saw you're reading this book. Funny enough, I actually read it, something similar. Highly recommended. Whatever. Like, and, and as part of that, actually, you get to see their personality. So if I were to repivot to you, like if I looked at your LinkedIn, someone who's active, that gives me a bit of a of an idea as to who you are. And in your case, it helps because if I'm prospecting you as an example, there's a ton of content of you online. Yeah. I can look at podcasts. And that's important, man. Like if you're a valuable pro- prospect to me as a client or a future client, I should be listening. And, and these are the best things ever, man. These are like gems hidden in the sand, you know, because a 30 minute podcast with you gives me so much ammo, right? I know exactly like you pointed out. One of my objectives is to 3x, whatever it is, right? Yeah. On the marketing side, I bring that up in, in, the, in the call or the email. Immediately, you have my attention. I'd yep. like to learn more. That's it. 
easy. Let's set up time. That's it. So, so I, I love that kind of the, the research uh, piece of it. I know you mentioned Bravado as a, being as a mentor. Uh, early on, what sort of things, or maybe even now, what sort of things do you do on the constant education side of, of sales? Like how do you keep yourself, you know, um, fit? Up to date, yeah. yeah up to um, date. I follow, so three people, I think everybody can go for, I'll, I'll mention four. So go follow John Barrows, go follow Jake Dunlap, Mm-hmm. Um, go follow. And then, so those, those two are older gentlemen that have been in the game a long time. Jake's been a VP of sales a couple times over now owns his own company. He shares a lot of really great insights, John, the same thing. And the two other guys that I'm now friends with that I looked up to in the very beginning are, um, Scott Barker at outreach and Morgan J Ingram at J Barrow's company as well. Um, both of those guys are producing content a lot, are both in sales, are both crushing it, and they have some very good principles and insights that you can learn from. So I follow people like that, and I look at what my peers are doing in the space, and I figure out they're always sharing what's valuable and what's working for them, uh, because that's what provides value to other people that they also want to sell to. So I just simply keep up to date with that stuff. I, I get a lot of my education from literally scrolling through LinkedIn and following the right people that produce really good content. And that's the majority of how I've, I've learned how to sell myself and obviously my own practices and my own internal people that I've learned from at my org. Those have been the two most central ways I've, I've developed my knowledge. What was the major difference between, and I'm sure people have this maybe question deep in their mind, but what's the major difference between being a BDR graduating to, uh, to becoming an AE that you found? Um, so like, what's the difference in the roles or what's in the, in the, in the capacity more so like role, you can look it up, but you as, as a, as a person in that capacity, what did you feel that you had to graduate from and mature on to be, to be a successful AE? How did I get from SDR to AE? Basically. Okay. Um, you need to do your job really well first so you need to hit your metrics. You need to figure out how the hell to do your job. That's number one. So use the tips that we've just been now been talking about. And then to take, usually that gets you to the next step into AE. And then I would say, even after that point, if you want to get into leadership or other things, then you need to look to help other people and you need to volunteer your time to talk to your peers or help out other SDRs. But since the question is about SDR to AE, I would just say, do your job really well, be a top performer. That's the easiest way for you to get the nod to go up to AE um, <clears throat> and be kind to other people. Like I, I, I did see a lot of, you know, I, I, I met a lot of really great people at G2. I met some not so great people at G2 that didn't make it. And a lot of the people that didn't make it didn't fully realize that a lot of their um, attitude and mentality in non-work environments really told a lot about them to other people at the org. And so I was somebody at G2 that was good friends with all the managers. And so when they were considering promoting people, they would get my input on if they thought that was a good decision or not. And that's when I, if I took a a hard look at, do, do I think this person has what it takes based on like Friday night at the bar with them, you know, also seeing what their performance looks like at work and really what I think about them as a person that matters way more than people I think realize sometimes. And it's a big reason why people get promoted is their interpersonal skills, their honesty and their, um, their, um, their character, if you will. So I'd say be sound around your performance and be an overall good person with good morals and good ethics, and you'll be in a good spot. 
Did you find it hard as a as a salesperson to be collaborative? Because I think sometimes that can get in the way of things. Like you know, it depends obviously on the sales structure. Some people yeah. are given uh, you know territories, so they don't conflict. But sometimes in sales, it can be like a like a you know, it can get pretty pretty uh, actionable. I, yeah, I have not been in that environment before, so I've yeah. only ever been in the environment where there is territories and there is okay. split regions and so. Likewise. Yeah. Everybody can be collaborative and help each other. And I'd say if you are not in an environment like that, look to get out of your environment and get into one like that because being in a bloodbath somewhere else doesn't <laughs> sound that fun to me, but that's just my perspective. So I'd love to hear an opposing perspective of, of something else. But Yeah, not, not my, my cup of tea either. Um, what, what about now, man? Like I know that you transitioned from, from G2 uh, to metadata. I, I feel like a lot of people who might be in a, in, in that conflict, you know, they've been in a company for three or four years, especially when it comes to a startup. Like I've had that experience as well, where I'm very close to either the founders, the senior management team, you know, it, it's more personal than people realize who maybe have only worked in corporate. You're not just, you know, an ant feeder, for example, an 80,000 employee company. Yeah. It's a very different ballgame. I just want to give that because a lot of people might not have that situation. Yep. What was that transitioning like? I know we spoke about it, but I'm just reiterating for people who don't know you. Yeah, you know, I, I think it, it worked out the best way it could for me and really for anybody else is for your next career move, it's almost always best to, um, I don't, maybe I don't want to overgeneralize, but I followed other people to this new company that I already knew. So going into a new environment, a new organization, I already knew the management team there because they had just, they had came from G2 from a couple of months before. So the process of transitioning was super smooth, super easy. I had a people I trusted and they were the ones teaching me all over again. We're pretty much bringing the same playbook to a new company. So it's, um, it's, it's pretty easy. I'd say the overall transition though, is like, and how to make that decision I did not want to leave G2, which is something I told you, and I'm close with Godard, and I'm close with the founders there, and still a lot of people there, and it wasn't really I wanted to leave. It was just the overall situation was better for me and where I wanted to take my career, um, and one of the main components to that was I would like to work in esports still, and I would, like to, I would eventually like to start my own company in the esports space. And right now, if you look at esports, sponsorships and advertising are the primary ways brands make money in that in that world. I had no experience with that at G2. Mm. I now get that experience with metadata, albeit it's B2B, which is different than B2C, but I still get an introduction to that space a little bit more. And so now I just, I talked to somebody at a big gaming company two weeks ago, that's going to be hiring for their team in November. I'm not looking to leave metadata, but I was able to hold my own in that conversation. And I knew how they produced revenue. And now I have that base knowledge for transitioning in the future. So that was the component. And there was a couple other components that went into it, but overall it was a better decision for me and my career, which is ultimately why I made the switch. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, about as much detail as I'll go into it, but no, no, that, that's really fair, man. Uh, and, and the reason I ask is because, again, that can be very challenging for different people. Uh, and also timing, like like what you were saying. I think what I like about your response, too, is you're thinking about also the next step. Again, not that you're looking to leave today, but you know kind of where you're heading to and, and what that gap. It's almost like a puzzle. You know, for yeah. you, there was that piece that was missing to, to make the whole picture uh, resonate, essentially. It's, um, it goes back to like the law of attraction principle. Like if you always have a North star of something that you want to reach and get to, for me, it's own my own business in esports. And so now it's like, okay, I'm here. I want to get here. What are the steps in between that get me to my end goal? Um, and so that's, 
uh, I think it, it, it helps establish a baseline for why you make your decisions. Um, and it helps you put things into the world that gets you the things that you want to receive back. Meaning if I want to work in esports, that means in my casual day-to-day conversations, I'm probably going to talk about esports. And then when I talk to somebody that also shares that interest, and then I figure out they know somebody at a company I'd like to talk to, it's like, oh, can you introduce me? And it's like, that would have never happened if I didn't have the end goal of wanting to do something. So I'd say for any professional that's trying to grow their career, think about what your end goal is and start to talk about it more and start to put it out into the world more. And you'll be shocked at how small of a world it really is and how people that hopefully the people that you're talking to in your circle or your friends can help you get there as long as you're talking about it and you're a good person. You know what I mean? So I've, I've just found that over the last two years, as I've set my sights on that, and as I, uh, I, I talked about on, on John Barrow's podcast, I, I made the conscious choice to get away from short-term selling about two years ago into more long-term selling where I wasn't forcing people into decisions. I wasn't making them super uncomfortable and just all focused about myself. I was trying to build more relationships and, and get to know them as friends and Thankfully, they are now quite a few of people that I've sold to. And so now these are people I can go to and ask favors for. They're people that introduce me into ways that I want to get to. So at the end of the day, always think about the other person on the other side of your conversation or the phone or whatever, um, and realize that um, they're just like you. They have their own agendas and their goals. So the way that you come across to them is very important. Um, a lot of people talk about, you know, don't... Um, don't uh, be fearful of how you're judged. And in some cases, that's good. But in most cases, people are going to judge you a lot. And that judgment is very important if they're going to make decisions about your career or decisions on who they're going to introduce you to. So always try to make sure you're on your A game and are being kind and respectful. And it will go a very long way for you. I love that, dude. Uh, just to wrap this up, I got one more for you. And typically, yeah. I'll ask, like, what's one piece of advice or experience uh, or lesson story that you've learned from your experience. I think we already touched on that. One of the things maybe we could ask, which I don't think I've ever asked yet, is what was one thing that you had to change within your parameters this year um, to, to improve, basically career-wise, let, let's put it. This year, meaning 2020, like the last three months? Let, let's go with 2019. I mean. 2019. What's one thing I had to change? Um, it's a really good question. So I, I'll use this example. So I was, um, I, I post a lot on LinkedIn now of content and things that I find helpful for other people. I try not to overdo it. Like I see some other people do. Um, I don't try to post once a day. I don't really follow a lot of that stuff, but I do try to, if I feel like I have a lesson or something that I've done recently, that's valuable to share it. And hopefully it's valuable to others. And if it's not, then it's like, I, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't meant to be any sort of personal gain for me. It's just meant to help others. And I think in the beginning of 2019, I kind of made the conscious choice to not care about the judgment or the um, rejection of posting online in general. Um, People might be shocked by that, but I haven't been posting online for very long. Uh, I started maybe late 2018, late 29 or early 2019. And I started posting more content on LinkedIn. I started messaging more people to grab coffee and I kind of just, I I got rejected a lot um, and I just didn't let it stop me. So I'd say get rid of the fear of something that's, 
stopping you from getting to somewhere you want to be. Um, but for me, it was just that the reason I didn't want to post something on LinkedIn was because I was scared of the judgment I was going to get from my coworkers at work that they were going to make fun of me for being, Oh, you're the LinkedIn guy or, Oh, you're the guy that's, you know, whatever, whatever. And, um, I You've got that. I got teased and I, and it's totally fine. I didn't mind it. I mean, it, it bothered me a little bit, but I pushed through and I just kept, um, doing what I thought was right. And I try not to be obnoxious about it, which I do see other people doing too. I think there's a balance with anything that you're going to do. But I'd say that was one of the biggest things is starting to put more of my thoughts online and share that with a community. And now I've built a small community around myself and that's proven to be very valuable for my career and for, um, honestly, a lot of friends that I've made because of it. So I'd say that was one thing, um, that I look back on now and say, that was, I, I'm glad I did that because it, it produced a lot of results for me um, and maybe happier overall. I love that, dude. Yeah, well, <clears throat> likewise. I mean, I've, I've definitely gotten those kind of comments early on. And, you know, eventually, I think if you just stick through uh, genuinely, you know, to posting things that, that you, that at least you see a value, uh, I, I think that's the better position. Not because I also see that as well, right? Like people just kind of fishing for likes and stuff like that. And, yeah. and, and LinkedIn is also a massive community. So one thing I will say that, Maybe if I pose the question to myself, because it can be a value. And, and you might hear this a lot, you know, like I'll accept everyone on LinkedIn, not me, but I'm just saying you'll hear that phrase. I'll accept everyone on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. One thing is that one of the things I pivoted in is being very, being more selective about who I also let into my community, because moving forward, who likes your posts is also an exposure to who is within your network. So, uh, you know, if you have a bunch of people that just, it, it doesn't make sense like as to what, what they're you know, why, why they're even connected to you. Uh, and I'm not going to go further into that just to be more polite, but I, I think you understand what I'm trying to say. Sure. Uh, it, it, it does impact you because keep in mind on the sales side, you're also very client facing. Your reputation is, digitally is just as important as virtually or in person. So, so just keep that in mind. And that's something I had to pivot as well. For sure. Well, thanks for having me, buddy. This was fun. I've been wanting to be on the show for a while. I've watched past episodes and hopefully I brought some value to the listeners. And this was very sales and B2B focused. So if you're not in that industry, apologies. We left a little tips if you're just younger and trying to get into your career. Um, But I will open up the door. If you are somebody that watched this, please feel free to message me, mention that you watched it. And if you have questions for myself, or I'm sure George would be happy to answer too, shoot me a message. I'd be happy to help if I can. And if I can't, I'll be honest and say that I can't help. But um, always try and I'm here to help if anybody needs it. I love that, Dan. Thanks. I mean, thanks so much, first of all, for doing this. I did want to ask just to build on that was where, where so where should people connect? Is it mostly LinkedIn? Yeah, do LinkedIn. It's where I'm the most active. Danny um, Reed. I mean, you'll see from the name of the podcast, but. Yep. Uh, Got so, the row range background, the big red background, but yes, Danny Reed at LinkedIn's best place to reach me. this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. I'll see you next time.